Last week, Victorian prosecutors dropped contempt charges against shock jock Ray Hadley and also the editor of the Melbourne Sun newspaper, Damon Johnston. That still leaves 34 media outlets and journalists facing contempt charges for breaching suppression orders during the trials of Cardinal George Pell. Now, interestingly, in December last year, just after Pell was found guilty by a jury, the Victorian Attorney-General announced a review of the laws around contempt. And as part of that process, the Victorian Law Reform Commission has just released a consultation paper exploring the many complex issues around contempt of court. And contempt of court is indeed a very broad concept and can take many different forms. Lawyer Anna Beasley is the team leader of the contempt team uh, with the Victorian Law Reform Commission. Now, Anna Beasley, you are a public servant. You can't offer an opinion or analysis about how the prosecutions are arising out of the George Pell trial will unfold. But, but can you walk me through why were the suppression orders in place? The suppression orders were put in place to protect the fair trial for George Pell. There were a number of trials, That's right. right. There was the, the first trial and then that was subsequently reported on and then there was a, going to be a further trial in March. But after the first trial, the second trial was uh, withdrawn. So it was all about making sure that uh, any jury in a subsequent trial of, of a second set of, of, of charges wouldn't be tainted about by what uh, they had heard about the first trial. That's exactly right. The purpose of the trial and the suppression orders around those trials was really to protect the trial process and to ensure that the jury members made decisions based on the evidence put before them in court. So give me a sense of the types of coverage that prosecutors say is contempt. There was the front page of the Herald Sun had a blacked out page. A black background. black background said, we can't tell you this. Well, in giant letters, the words censored. Exactly. And then after that, a caption saying, the world is reading a very important story relevant to Victorians, but we are prevented from publishing any details. That's exactly right. What media organisations have subsequently been charged with is aiding and abetting contempt of court by overseas media organisations and for breaching the suppression orders. So what happened was that in the United States, the Washington Post reported on that case and that was noted in the Australian newspapers. So there's a very big conversation in Victoria around suppression orders and whether they are used by courts too frequently or in cases inappropriately. Now, that's a separate issue to questions around contempt of court. So let's mm. stay away from the pros and cons of suppression orders. But these contempt charges, they've been brought by the prosecutor's office, haven't they? That's right. Okay, so it's not arising from the courts, from the judges, it's the prosecutors who That's are commencing right. these, these actions. And how will they be heard? Will they be all heard together, all 34 media outlets and journalists, or will they be heard separately? Will there be full-on trials? What will be the way that these contempt charges are addressed and, and heard? It, it's unclear. At this moment, those contempt proceedings are at what we lawyers describe as interlocutory stages um, and there's to be a further directions hearing in the middle of the year. I guess it's unclear because we've never faced anything on this scale before. That's exactly right and the case is quite unusual. Unique, I would have thought. Yes. What are the possible penalties? In imposing penalties for contempt, the courts have a very wide ambit. It's a common law offence and the 
judge hearing the matter has a discretion, an absolute discretion about what penalties can be imposed. And they can include imprisonment. And that was something that happened a long time ago with Darren Hinch. Uh, Senator Darren Hinch, who was in the media for many years, and I think he was fined and imprisoned for contempt for, I think, 12 days for informing his listeners that a, a convicted sex offender who was facing another trial at the time, incidentally, mm. was running a, a camp where kids were attending. Mm. So what are some of the key issues raised in the consultation paper when it comes to this contempt by publication? One of the key issues, and this is really highlighted by the Pell case, is the way information can be spread so quickly around the world via um, technology and the internet. So you're trying to work out whether these kind of very ancient laws are still relevant and applicable in the modern age. That's right. And also some of the assumptions underpinning those laws that jurors can or need to be sheltered, protected from external information, from information that is not put before the court, and that if jurors hear that type of information, they then will be unable to make an impartial decision. So that's part of it. The other assumption that underpins the law is an assumption that you can control the media and and order the media not to publish certain materials or that the law and the threat of going to prison as a result of being in contempt of court is a sufficient sanction to prevent reporting on matters. And there's also that practical matter of what happens in a globalised world where people are accessing what the Washington Post or other overseas publications. Exactly. And that's a question of enforceability. So it raises a a real issue about, well, is the law of subjudicy contempt still applicable in the modern age when you do have worldwide coverage of matters that are outside the control of the Victorian courts that are limited by their own jurisdiction. Of course, the Victorian Law Reform Commission hasn't uh, arrived at any conclusions. All it's doing is saying, look, there's an issue out here which we've been asked to raise and that's what we're doing and we're inviting submissions. Look, what's very interesting about contempt of court is that it takes many forms. So this contempt by publication is the one which is centre stage because of the prosecutions arising out of um, the Pell trials. But there's also contempt of court for non-compliance with court orders or undertakings. And there have been very interesting cases in Victoria as well, haven't there, just recently? Yes, there has. There was a really interesting case late last year concerning the owner of a tyre dump in northern Victoria. There'd been a long history of court proceedings by the council asking him to clean up his tyre dump and he failed to comply with those orders. So the council then took court proceedings to seek enforcement of the order for the man to clean up the tyre dump. To comply with the court order? To comply with the court order. And so what happened? He was found in contempt of court because he was just ignoring what he the He just was... ignored it and he ignored it for years and years. And the judge who heard the matter described his behaviour as a perverse refusal to accept the jurisdiction of the court. This was, uh, I think his name's uh, Shannon James Sidebottom and, he, and his, his tyre dump is in the town of Namurka in Victoria. What did the court do? So ultimately the court convicted him of contempt. The company was fined and he was sentenced to four months imprisonment. 
And what, there's a proper trial where evidence is heard or sort of people come before the court and say, look, here's the paperwork, he's ignored the court orders year after year after year? There may be submissions, but the process is heard by judge alone and the procedures for the court to follow are set out in the Supreme Court rules. So there are some rules around this for this type of contempt because it's disobedience of a court order. In the Pell case, I'm imagining it's not going to be just a question of a a judge banging their gavel and saying, Mm. you're in contempt. Mm. There's going to be some serious addressing of Mm. these fundamental issues. Mm. But I I guess here where it's much more straightforward, the authorities and the local authorities and the courts would argue, this Shannon James sidebottom, they could just look at the paperwork and say, right, you're off to jail. You're in contempt of court. Potentially, yes. And it's at the discretion of the judge who's hearing about whether or not they wish to call evidence. And I've just I've seen pictures of this giant tyre dump in Namurka and it's, mm. quite, it's kind of sort of on the edge of mm. town and it's mm. just it's enormous yes. and probably presents a massive fire hazard, I would have in thought. In fact, there were, there were fires in 2013 um, which put the locals at risk. So there are cases of contempt for non-compliance with court orders, but there's also something called contempt in the face of the court, which I understand arises from time to time. That's exactly right. And there's another Victorian case of Slaveski, which has a long history uh, and was a very, very serious case of contempt in the face of the court, where Mr Slaveski, over a period of a year and a half, sent threatening emails to the judges. And indeed, when he was in court, he made violent, abusive and threatening comments. And he also, by his emails, was attempting to obstruct the administration of justice. So, so that's a, that's a di- little bit different in the sense that it's not non-compliance with orders. It's actually kind of threatening judicial officers. Correct. And this, from my memory, because I think we've covered this case before, he's a vexatious litigant who's been in and out mm. and in and out and in and out of the courts for, for many, many years. Mm. And I think at one point he said to the judge, if you're going to take my property, I know where you live and I'm going to take yours. Something along those lines. Is that correct? That may have been the case, yes. So we've been talking about Victorian cases. Mm. This year there has been an extremely interesting case uh, in Brisbane in in the Federal Circuit Court. It was a case of Stradford and Stradford earlier this year where the judge has been found to have gone way too far in in terms of a finding of contempt. What happened in that case? Oh, in that case the accused failed to hand over financial records that were required as part of the proceedings. The family law dispute. That's right. Mm. And as a consequence of that failure, the judge hearing the matter proceeded to imprison the man for a maximum of 12 months with a five-month custodial period. And even his former wife, who was actually in in, legal battle with him, Mm. thought this was a terrible idea because it would kind of have a huge impact on their kids, and she supported her former spouse's appeal. That's correct. This matter went on appeal. Where did it go to on appeal? So it went to the full court of the family court who said that the judge had no legal power to make the orders and that it would be an affront to justice to leave them in place. In fact, I think uh, that when they overturned the decision, they said, quote, what happened here constituted a gross miscarriage of justice. That's right. They said it was 
be more difficult to envisage a more profound or disturbing example of prejudgment and denial of procedural fairness to a party. And they pointed out that the man had not been given the opportunity to be heard. So effectively, the judge had just, what, made some kind of very quick decision without inviting him to defend himself. That's right. Look, Anna Beasley, what does this and, and the other cases tell us about the processes for dealing with contempt of court? It tells us that the processes are highly discretionary and depend on the views of the, the judge hearing the matter or having the, the disruptive or abusive behaviour or the failure to provide documents or comply with a court order. It tells us that it's a discretion for that judge to decide how to deal with it, whether to deal with it as a contempt and then what the processes and what the penalties are to be imposed where they form the view there has been a contempt of court. So part of the the process going on in Victoria is to say, well, look, maybe we need to have clearer processes and and, and a clearer understanding of the way this... Of course, it's not in statute, is it? It's it's all kind of in common law, isn't it? Well, it's it's funny. It's a really funny area of law because there is common law contempt, which is judge-made case law decisions, and then there are bits of it pockets of it that are actually restated in statute. And these are the sorts of questions about whether we've got the right legal architecture for dealing with these very, very complex issues. Correct. That's basically what is in part of this pluriform process. That's right. And we're being asked whether there is a need to put in statute Victoria's common law of contempt. Now, Anna Beasley, contempt takes many different forms. And you highlighted one form of this. Before, you, when you mentioned Mr Slavesky, you talked about people being kind of disruptive or disrespectful or insulting and sometimes even threatening in a court. There are different levels of that disrespect, I suppose. There was a Queensland case in, in Proserpine earlier this year where, you know, hey, it didn't sound too serious, um, perhaps. Uh, tell me about that case. So that was a case before a magistrate late last year where an accused went to court wearing a t-shirt that said villain and the magistrate hearing the case asked the man to go outside the courtroom, take off the t-shirt, turn it inside out and come back into court and he refused. The magistrate said, I'll send you down, I'll get the police in and and, um, make you do it. And send you down to the cells? Send you down to the cells. What happened? So he then... Through his lawyer, um, the lawyer then came back into the courtroom and said, look, he understands the seriousness of it and he ap- apologised. So he purged his contempt, So he as purged they say. his contempt. That's exactly right. And what, they then rearranged for the court hearing to come back another time where he could come back more appropriately attired? That's exactly right. Do you have many cases of that kind of low-level contempt where a judge or a magistrate just says, I don't like the way you're addressing me or I don't like the way you're addressing me, I don't like the way you're approaching the court, the way you're dressed, for instance? You hear of it anecdotally, but of course those are matters that are heard in the lower courts, so in the Victorian Magistrates' Court, and so they don't receive the level of coverage... They're not reported in the case law unless they become so gross, as was the case with, say, Mr Slavesky, Mm. where he had 
really serious behaviour that he, he undertook before the magistrate's court that included threatening behaviours and also a long series of emails mm. to the court. And what happened to Mr Slavesky? Was he in prison for his contempt? Y- yes, he was. He was in prison for a minimum of 15 months. That was the sentence. It was a 23-month imprisonment with a minimum of 15 months before parole right. and that covered all of the types of contempts that he'd been charged with. Coming back to this case in Queensland, I think the young man's name was Jamie Lee Engel. Was there any discussion about what his intention was by wearing the villain T-shirt? I mean, I I don't know. Was he trying to be disrespectful and inflammatory or was it just something he'd done without giving much thought to it or trying to even be a little bit funny without being contemptuous? The way it was reported was that to him it was just a T-shirt. It appears that he hadn't even turned his mind as to whether or not it could be perceived as being offensive or disrespectful to the courts. And is intention an important question, do you think? Intention in this area of law is not relevant. Aha. And is that an issue that do you think maybe might be addressed by this inquiry? Yes, it is one of the questions that we're looking at as part of this inquiry. It's a very interesting question because it is counter to the requirements of proving an offence to criminal law, for which many of them require there to be an intention to perform an act. Anna Beasley, we've been looking at very lot of different areas. There's another form of contempt called scandalising the court. And I think about two or three years ago, three Victorian Liberal politicians, Alan Tudge, Michael Sucker and Greg Hunt, they were hauled before the Supreme Court for what's known as scandalising the court because they had, I think, told journalists that the Victorian courts were, were very weak on terrorism sentencing. So what's this idea of scandalising the court? So this is a an area of the law of contempt that is concerned with protecting the integrity of the courts and ensuring that they are not brought into disrepute. And what happened in that case? So in that case, the ministers were asked to explain their comments before the court and they were asked to apologise and eventually they did. And because they apologised, contempt proceedings were not proceeded with. Did they come into the court themselves or did their lawyers just come in? I've forgotten. No, it was just their lawyers. So it was just the Commonwealth Solicitor General who appeared on behalf of the three ministers. And so Dr Donoghue said, we offer an apology. We never, that is, the ministers never intended to influence the court. And they apologise, saying they intended to exercise great care in the future. The court's concern was that the ministers had failed to respect the doctrine of the separation of powers and that they had also breached the principle of subjudice. So the courts were concerned with a number of different types of contempt in that case. That ignited a debate because some people said, look, the politicians have to kind of respect the courts. On the other hand, some people said, look, the courts are being precious. They Mm. should be able Mm. to deal with people making comments about um, their past sentencing histories, rightfully or wrongfully, I might add. So again, these are questions that you'll be looking at in this inquiry. That's right, because there's a real question about how do you balance the need for open justice, that is, that courts uh, and court proceedings are open and transparent and can be reported on, 
with the need to ensure the proper administration of justice, to ensure that a jury in a criminal trial is able to make a decision based solely on the evidence put before it in a courtroom. How do you balance those sometimes competing principles? Lawyer Anna Beasley, she's team leader for the Contempt of Court Inquiry, currently being conducted by the Victorian Law Reform Commission. And we have a link to the Commission's consultation paper on the Law Report homepage. And there's still time to have your say on these issues. The closing date for submissions to the review is the 28th of June.